welcome to RUF. Uh, hey, my name is Brian Thomas. I'm the uh, campus minister with RUF. If this is your first time, welcome. RUF is a, a campus ministry for Western Carolina, uh, and we are glad you're here. You don't have to be a Christian to be here. Um, in fact, if you're exploring uh, the truth claims of Christianity or you have no idea what you believe, uh, this is a real safe place for you. This is actually a really good place for you. Uh, if you are a Christian, like you love Jesus, you're, like, you want to follow him, um, this is also a good place for you. And so no matter where you're at, where you're from, uh, welcome, welcome. And so this is large group. We do all kinds of stuff. Uh, this is our weekly meeting on Wednesday nights at 8. And what we do is we open God's Word each semester, typically in the New Testament or the Old Testament. And this semester... We're looking at Ecclesiastes. Now, if you're new to the Bible, Ecclesiastes is this funky little book in the Old Testament. Um, and, it, and it really helps us understand the complexities of this world we live in. Like, no matter who you are, where you're at spiritually, like, you look around the world, even this campus in your own life, and, man, things just don't make sense sometimes. Uh, well, Ecclesiastes is really honest about that. Uh, it doesn't hide those things. And so it's, it's helpful. Uh, tonight, we're in Ecclesiastes 4. Uh, we're going to look at a little section of verses 7 through 16. So if you've got a Bible and you want to go there, great. If not, the passage should be in front of you on that sheet of paper. They're everywhere. So the passage is right there. Uh, and so, let's just dive in. This is God's Word. It's good. I'm going to start reading in verse 7 of Ecclesiastes 4. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. Uh, and it, for whom am I toiling, he asked. Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one man, no, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to take warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship where he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before him. But those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, uh, a chasing after the wind. Now, that sounds kind of strange, like what's he talking about, what's going on there? Uh, well, we're going to dive into that and hopefully kind of unpack some of it. Let's pray uh, because we really need God's help. All right, let's do that. Uh, God, thank you so much that you speak. Thank you so much that you continue to speak to us. Through your word, we, uh, we need help to be good listeners. We need help uh, to apply this stuff to our lives. We need help to believe it. 
uh, we, ha- we need help to see what it is you would have us see, the, the redemptive focus that's in this passage. And so we ask that you help. Um, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been really lonely? I just want you to think about that. Uh, you know, maybe it was like a time you didn't feel like your, your parents listened to you, right? Uh, maybe they still don't listen to you. Um, you know, you, you kind of went through a season you didn't feel like you had a real close friend. Uh, maybe there's like a serious breakup. But I just want you to think of a time, if you can, maybe you haven't, that's great, uh, that you've just been really lonely. Uh, well, there's this guy named John Cassiopo. Okay, he is uh, a social neuroscientist who's been doing, doing research for decades at the University of Chicago. And, and he wrote this book a number of years ago that basically summarizes 30 years of social neuroscience research. Um, 30 years of pioneering research. He was doing stuff nobody else was doing. Uh, and he wrote, he, he kind of chronicled it all, he kind of recorded it all in this book called Loneliness. Fascinating. Um, one review of the book said, it's, the most, it's one of the most important books written about the human condition in the last decade. <laughs> okay? And it's not, not from a Christian perspective. This guy's just a scientist doing research, writing about it. Um, and what's amazing, if you just go and you check out some of the stuff he's discovered, it truly is astonishing, after 30 years of research, some of the things he's found that's connected to loneliness. Um, one, I can't give you all of them because it's, it's a big book, right? I'll give you a few. Uh, one is he found higher levels of epi, epinephrine, uh, which is like a stress hormone for anybody that don't know. Um, they found higher levels of this stress hormone in the morning urine of lonely people. Hands down. They always had more of this stress hormone in their pee. I know it's weird. Let's just keep it real. Okay, we're talking about pee. It's kind of weird. But he's a researcher. They do science, man. Come on. Uh, let's keep going. And so think about this. Kind of like he makes this point that loneliness, like it, it kind of burrows down deep in us. It's not just something we feel. It actually affects our bodies. Um, and he would go on and he would describe that, um, he, there's this quote in there. He said, when we drew blood uh, from older adults who are really isolated and alone, you know, imagine the kind of older adults in nursing homes, right? Uh, when we drew their blood and analyzed their white cells, he writes, we found that loneliness somehow penetrated the deepest recesses of the cell like literally altered the cell. Um, the, it, it altered the way the genes were expressed. What? That's crazy. Uh, hands down. And so he goes on, and like one of the big points he makes in this book is, is loneliness affects not only the brain, um, but the basic process of DNA. Like it affects us deep, deeply. And so my question for you to think about is like, well, why is that? I mean, it actually affects our body, like the way our cells function, the way our DNA operates. Uh, why is that? Well, I think it's because we, we're not designed to be alone. I think there's, that's part of the fallen human condition. 
Uh, that's kind of part of what's wrong with the world. We're not designed to be alone. Like, you know this. Like, you need each other. Like, you need to work together. Like, you need friendship. Um, but these things are hard. Like, I don't know about you. Friendship's hard, right? I think we all get that. Uh, friendship can be hard uh, for all sorts of reasons. And I'll just list a couple, and then we're going to kind of dive into the passage. One, kind of, I don't know about you, but in America, individualism, you may have heard that phrase before people talk about it. Um, individualism is one of the dominant ways our culture operates. Uh, I mean, we have, we have elevated the individual above community, the individual above family. I mean, it, we are individualistic. We are. It affects us, all of us. Um, and not only that, but then you just got the kind of the, nat- the internal stuff that we deal with. Like, naturally, I, like, we love ourselves. Like, we just do. Okay? Let's just, let's just keep it real for a second. Like, we love ourselves. Um, I mean, just think about the way we approach jobs, the way we approach churches, roommates, groups, clubs, organizations. I mean, just think about all those kind of things. Uh, we, you know, we have the tendency to kind of approach them and ask, are these people going to meet my needs? And how? How are they going to meet my needs? Uh, and when they don't meet my needs, we move on. It happens. Now, sometimes there's, time, there's great reason to move on, okay? So don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Uh, sometimes there's a really good reason to move on. But a lot of times we just bounce because our needs aren't met, right? Um, and so we love ourselves. Self comes first. Like, it is really hard. Sometimes I literally, I'm married, by the way. My wife is Jessica. She's in Asheville tonight. She wish she could be here with you all. Um, so anyway, once, I mean, sometimes I ask Jessica, I'm like, Jessica, I don't, like, how can I not be self-centered? Like, please, I'm like, anybody, can somebody help me out? Because sometimes it's just, it's just the knee-jerk reaction that I have to life. Uh, and so this guy writing Ecclesiastes, this author king, right, he knows about self-centeredness. Like, he gets it, obviously. He probably gets it better than anybody. Um, and he's going to remind us that even in light of self-centeredness, friendship is better, always. Uh, and so we're going to think about two things, the need for friendship and the enemy to friendship. That's it. So let's think about the need for friendship, which is really in verses 9 to 12. You can just look at that section. Uh, the author is trying to make a point, right? He's trying to persuade his audience. He's trying to persuade us that we need other people, like we need others. Isolation is not the way, Okay. Um, and so look at verse, verse 9. He says it right out the gate. He goes, very simple but profound. Two are better than one. And then he kind of develops the, his point by describing the advantages of, of a friend, of friendship. Uh, and so you see it. I mean, he, verse, at the end of verse 9, it's friendship is rewarding. Uh, f- keep going. Verse 10, friendship provides help in times of need right? Uh, It comforts, verse 11. It protects, verse 12. I mean, just just think of some of the great movies and books you like. You know, Lone Survivor, Marcus Luttrell. Guess what? He wouldn't have survived without friends. Frodo wouldn't have made it without his friends, right? You know what I'm saying? We've all been to Middle Earth, come on. 
uh, Frodo wouldn't have made it without Sam. Y'all know, y'all know the scene. You know, some of y'all are thinking about it right now. I'll carry you. Anyway, um, see, so like, they, I mean, like, we can keep going. I mean, you just, people, you just won't survive without friends. You're not going to make it without friends. And so look at the end of verse 12. I love this. Uh, he says, A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Why, why is it not quickly broken? Because they share the weight of life. Because you have more sharing the weight of life. Like, you need friends to share the weight of life. Because life is going to be heavy, life is going to be hard, and you've you got to have somebody to help you carry the load at some point. Um, introverts. we got some introverts in that. My wife's an introvert. I love introverts. The world will be a me- messed up place without you. Introverts, you need friends. All right? You've got, you got to be intentional. You've got to be intentional and make some friends. All right? Extroverts, you need close friends, not 50 acquaintances. Like, you actually need some close friends, people you can share the weight of life with. Um, I'm an extrovert. I get, I get that, okay? Um, although, since I've had kids, I'm, I'm really like, that introvert thing's happening. Um, <laughs> if you're dating, all right, because this is college, we're all thinking about dating, we all want to date, we are dating. Um, if you're dating, like, you need friends outside that relationship. You just do, okay? You're going to get weird, okay? <laughs> just keeping it real. Um, like, things can get weird. Like, I'm married. Um, we just celebrated eight years. Uh, I know, it's awesome. It's so awesome. It's unbelievable. And uh, this is so true. Like, there is not anyone that I want to hang out with more than my wife. Like, my wife is really my best friend, and I'm not saying that because it sounds nice. I mean, literally. She is my best friend. When I daydream about hanging out with a friend... It's not a dude. It's my wife. I mean, I got great close guy friends. I love them. But I'm daydreaming about hanging out with my wife. Okay? She's my friend. But I have close guy friends that are important, that are totally outside, right? Um, so important that we celebrate Christmas together. I've got a group of friends. We have celebrated Christmas together. Our wives hate it because it's really kind of getting old now to them. But we do it. Ten years. We have never missed a Christmas. We get together, and we, it's awesome. And you know what we do? We share the weight of life. Like, we, we are very honest and open, and like I look forward to that time together. And they get some of the best Christmas gifts. It's awesome. Uh, it really is. I'm serious. Some of the best I get every year. Uh, and so me and my friends, my close guy friends, we share the weight of life. Um, and we've gone, I mean, like, honestly, we've gone through some really hard stuff together. And I can't imagine doing that without them around. Uh, and so guys... You need friends, okay? You need friends. You can't just do the lone wolf thing. I get it. You just want to go live in the woods and, like, chew bark or something. Um, you, you can't do it alone. Like, you need friends. Like, you can't get consumed with work, with family, hobbies. I, get all, I, like, I like all that stuff. It's all good stuff. You can't get consumed with those things to, to the point where friendship is non-existent. Like, I, I'm telling you, I've known this. I'm, I'm a little ahead of you in life, and I'm seeing it with friends. I'm seeing it with older guys that I'm friends. Men, at some point, I don't know when it happens, they skip friendship. It just kind of becomes uh, something that's just not that important. Um, it would be amazing if, like, you went around the room. How many of you could tell me who your dad's best friend is? I know men. See, some of you could. Like, not many of you raised your hand. 
Like, I know so many men that don't, like, they're great guys. They love their family, but they don't have any friends. Just because at some point it's become non-existent. Uh, or maybe they have one friend, but not a group of friends, right? And so we need friends, right? Now let's think about the enemy of friendship. That was a quick kind of like, we need it. Well, what hinders it? Because we all know it's hard, right? Uh, and the enemy to friendship kind of shows up in verses 7 to 8, and then also verses 13 to 16. He kind of makes his point and illustrates it, kind of sandwiches it with like things that hinder friendship. And so... Um, now, we could come up with a long list of things, all of us together. You're really smart. And we could come up with a long list of things that hinder friendship. But what we want to do is, like, well, what does he say hinders friendship right here? That's the ones we want to focus on. Like, in this passage, what does he show us that hinders friendship? Seven and eight describe this man. It's really kind of sad if you stop and think about it. Um, He describes a man being all alone, never content with his wealth. And at one point, he stops and asks, like he kind of has a moment of realization, I don't have any friends, uh, why am I working like a dog and depriving myself of enjoyment? I think it's interesting he says depriving myself of enjoyment in the context of friendship. Because he knows he is not enjoying life, and it's it's because he doesn't have any friends. And he's even sacrificed the closest relationships to him. Because it says it in there, like he doesn't have a brother, he doesn't have a son. There's no one. He's all alone. Um, and so, well, what led to this situation? Like, how did this dude end up all alone? That's kind of a good question. For this guy, two things, work and wealth. Uh, work and wealth can be an enemy to friendship. This guy took two good things, by the way. I think work is good. I think wealth can be good, right? Um, They're not bad things, but it's what we do with them. Because we're great at taking good things and making them really, like, twisting them, right? It's what we do with them. This guy became so consumed by work and wealth to the point where he had no room in his life for anything else. And what does it say about him? He was all alone. He was all alone. Uh, And, and, you know, we still do this today. Like, we go from... I mean, think about this. We can go... I see, my, I see some of my friends doing this. Uh, we can go from enjoying work. Like, work's a good thing. You, should enjoy, like you can enjoy it, right? Um, we can go from enjoying work to a deeper belief about work, to believing life only has meaning if we are highly productive in getting things done. Anybody struggle with that? You kind of get to the end of the day, and you're like, man, I didn't get anything done today, and you kind of freak out a little bit? Maybe not, not Western students? Okay, never mind. Uh, we'll get to something else for you in a minute. Uh, and so... It's real subtle, though, how we can go from, like, work's good to I actually worship work now. And I'm, I feel like life doesn't have any meaning if I'm not productive. Um, or think about this. Let's say you're, you're trying to do a good job. Like, you've got a project. You're doing something for your boss. You're trying to do a good job. And that's all. You just want to do a good job. But soon that desire turns into thinking, man, I only have worth like, I only have value if I am being recognized for my accomplishment. Whoa. Like, it's all about recognition at that point. It's actually not a good thing. Um, and so if you make work and wealth the ultimate thing in your life, which is easy to do, especially guys, man. Guys are great at turning work into an ultimate thing. 
um, then friendship will suffer. Like, it just will. Um, it will suffer in some way. Okay, well, let's keep going. Verses 13 to 16, he tells a different story. He tells a story of a poor... It was kind of tricky reading this stuff. This is like what they call Proverbs and kind of mixed in with some poetry. It's kind of complicated to understand sometimes. But basically what's going on in verses 13 to 16, he tells the story of a poor young man who managed to rise above his humble beginnings. Right? And kind of not just rise, like get a good job, be a CEO. He became a king. He ascended to the throne. And he went, I mean, like he went from rags to royalty. Okay? Um, I mean, people rallied around this guy. He was popular. But what happened? His popularity didn't last. At some point, you're not popular anymore. In verse 16, what does it say? But those who came later were not pleased. <laughs> like, meaning at some point, people came and was like, I don't think he's that big of a deal. I'm not too pleased with this dude. Well, who is he anyway? I don't remember him. I heard my granddad talk about him. Um, and so, like, advancement and popularity is kind of what this passage is getting at. Advancement and popularity can become an enemy to friendship. Not because they're necessarily bad, right? Advancement is good. should have some ambition, strive, do good things. Um, popularity is not bad. Like Jimmy Fallon is a popular dude for good reason, right? He's a cool guy. Um, cool story. Nothing wrong with that. Rather, what happens is we take things like advancement and popularity, right, and we turn them into ultimate things that, that really do, in a lot of ways, kind of consume and drive us. I mean, they just are a big deal. Um, and in the process, you sacrifice things. You sacrifice friendship. Sometimes you don't even know it's even really happening. Uh, or, think about this, maybe you don't sacrifice friendship, but for the sake of advancement, for the sake of popularity, you use friendship. Think about that. Like you use friends. Friends at that moment become merely allies. Uh, merely allies to promote self. And that's not really friendship. Uh, we just use people for our own advancement and popularity. I mean, pe- people do this all the time. Um, it's, it's easy. I, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of everything I talk about, by the way. I'm that messed up. Um, and so some of you... Like, think about this. Some of you are really great friends, though. Like, some of you have been listening to this friendship talk, and you're like, you're not thinking about any of the struggles of a friendship. You're thinking of that time you were really hurt by a friend. I get that. Um, some of you are great friends, but you've been hurt by others. Like, you know what it's like to be dropped by someone. Like, you know, I, I see this with dads all the time. Dads abandon their kids. Like, dads are abandoning kids for what? To pursue advancement. I want to move up the corporate ladder, and you know what? Something's got to give, and it's typically the kids. They're sacrificed, right? see it all the time. Uh, Maybe that's not your story. Some of you have been rejected. Like You can think of a real specific time in your life where you've been rejected by a friend because of their pursuit of popularity. You know what I'm talking about? Does that sound familiar? Like, in, in your friend's pursuit of popularity... You just didn't measure up. Like, you just weren't popular enough. And they moved on to something else. You know what I'm talking about? Does that sound familiar? I don't know. Um, like, we just didn't measure up in some way. Um, 
And so, here we are, friendship, geez. Whoa. Friendship is, I mean, it's, you know, it's a challenging subject, but it's something we need. It's really bizarre. Like, it's hard, but we need it. Uh, we need friendship, but we're not good at it. Okay? Let's just be honest. Like, we want friends, but they make us miserable. Y'all know what I'm talking about? No, you see, y'all have great friends then. Because some of y'all are like, dude, I'm just going to go home and watch ESPN. I don't know what you're thinking. But uh, I'm glad you got great friends because a lot of times I talk to people and they're like, I love my friend, but they make me miserable. But I love them. But I'm miserable. I'm miserable, Brian. But I love them. We'll go hang out with them in a minute. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, we long for friends. We long for friends. Like, your freshman year, you're freaking out until you find a friend group. Like, you're just like, please, I need some friends. I'm standing alone, and so I'm just going to look at my phone. So, you know, it helps with the insecurity. I get that. I do it sometimes. I'm just going to look at my phone so I don't look like a, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. Um, and so, like, we long for friends as long as they don't get in our way, though. Because as soon as friends start getting in our way, it's, I mean, it kind of starts to cost. It's uncomfortable. Um, and so here we are with this kind of conundrum. What do we do? Like, how do we become a good friend? You know, how do we maintain good friends? You know, what's the answer? What's the answer to this friendship dilemma? And I think the one response, one good response, is sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. Um, I don't know if you guys are in the World War II. Just in your free time, you look like you are. Um, Ernest Gordon... Uh, he was a Scottish guy. He spent three years as a Japanese prisoner of war during World War II. And he wrote a book about his experience. It's a great book. Um, the name escapes me right now. Anyway, uh, in it, he describes the Scottish soldiers that were captured by the Japanese folks. And they were forced by their Japanese captors to build this, it's kind of famous, this a jungle railroad. Jungle Railroad, that doesn't sound fun. And so they were forced to do this. Well, one afternoon, something happened. A shovel was missing. Brian, no big deal. Oh, it was a big deal. Uh, and so the officer that was in charge of these prisoners, he was enraged, like flipped his lid. And uh, he demanded that the missing shovel be found. And so, like, it, it better be found or else, meaning, I'm, like, it's going to be bad. And when nobody in this squadron of prisoners budged, the Japanese officer got his gun out, and he was literally going to kill everyone over a missing shovel, right? And he was, and they knew this. Uh, and he threatened to kill them all on the spot. And so finally, in the midst of this, one man steps forward to take the punishment, one man steps forward to take the punishment. Ernest Gordon is a witnessing this. Uh, steps forward to take the punishment for the lost shovel. And the officer puts away his gun, picks up the shovel, and kills the man with it. Picks up a shovel, kills the man. And so when it was over, I mean, obviously people are really, really distraught. I mean, it's like a bad, it's a bad situation. So the survivors had to move on to the next checkpoint. Um, the second tool check, I think is how they referred to it. And so this time, they get to the second tool check. No shovel is missing, right? I would, I would, I would think people would keep up with the shovels too, right? Uh, but actually, at this second checkpoint, uh, 
the men, everyone, even the Japanese guys, discovered there had been a miscount. A miscount. That actually there wasn't a shovel missing. Ever. That's the other one. And so immediately, like, the word of this situation, like, spread like wildfire through the whole camp. And, and, the, and the, the story was an innocent man had been willing to die to save others. That's literally the only reason he stepped up. Because he knew this guy is going to kill everyone. My friends. Like the people I've been in prison with. And so he, step, so he steps forward. And he dies. Right? Now, immediately, like these guys are transformed. Why? They are transformed by this act of sacrificial love. And, okay, the story's not over. So, you know, it's like 1945. The Allies are sweeping through. The Allies sweep in. The survivors, so all of these Scottish prisoners are freed. And so all these Scottish prisoners are lined up in front of their captors. In front of the officer, they watched beat their friend to death. And then instead of attacking their captors, this is what they said. They insisted, this is a quote, no more hatred, no more killing. Now what we need is forgiveness. And they did not kill any of their captors, even though they could have. And in a lot of situations like this, they did, and Jesus demonstrated an even greater sacrificial love, right? Like, he stepped down from heaven to save his friends, you. He even refers to you as his friend. Um, and how did he do it? By sacrificing his life. And so when you, like, when you experience the, the sacrificial love of Jesus, like, it transforms you. And you actually are empowered, you're enabled to become the friend people need. A friend like Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for our great friend, uh, Jesus, who did come and demonstrate the greatest act of sacrificial love. And so would that encourage us? Would that challenge us? Would that compel us to love sacrificially? to love our friends sacrificially. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.